Welcome to the MDS podcast. My name is Hugo Morales, and we are pleased to have Dr. Cheng Honglei as our guest. Dr. Cheng is a professor of the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics of Michigan State University, and his primary research interests is focused on the role of environmental factors in Parkinson's etiology. He has leveraged the power of epidemiological cohort studies to characterize populations at risk, identify environmental exposures and their possible associations with programmal PD manifestations. Today, Dr. Cheng will talk about his recently published paper in Movement Disorders entitled High Pesticide Exposures Events and Dream Enacting Behaviors Among U.S. Farmers. To get you interested, this is the first epidemiological study to examine the association between high pesticide contact and dream enacting behaviors suggested for RBD. Thank you, Dr. Chang, for joining us today. Thank you, Hugo, for the kind introduction. And also, it's a great pleasure to speak to the movement disorder community about our research. I would like to use your expertise on the topic and first to discuss the association between with pesticide exposure and Parkinson's disease. We know that there are multiple pathophysiological mechanisms that have been explored in Parkinson's, which include genetic and environmental factors. But how much do we know about the risks of PD attributed to pesticide exposure? That's a really good question. As you know, as I know, that pesticides are likely among the environmental contributors to Parkinson's disease. This has been supported by both epidemiological studies and also animal experimental studies. The studies also Im implies that specific pesticides may contribute to the etiology of Parkinson's and are different on mechanisms. And these pesticides include organochlorines, retinols, and parapet, among many others. However, there is a question that we know very little about when, where, and how pesticides may contribute to the development of the disease. I think this is a very important question to ask because, as we know, that Parkinson's disease mostly affects older adults, the so-called late-onset sporadic Parkinson's. And in these individuals, it's very likely that the disease may take decades to develop before it can be clinically diagnosed. And during this stage, many environmental factors may come into play, either initiating the disease etiology or modifying its progression to its clinical phenotype. And we learned in the past 20 years that during this the so-called prodromal stage of Parkinson's disease, many non-motor symptoms such as poor faction, REM sleep behavior disorder, or RBD, which we studied in this particular study, and the other symptom constipation, among many others, may gradually develop during the prodromal stage of PD prior to the disease motor onset. Therefore, I'm particularly interested that by studying the pesticide exposures in relation to the onset of these intermediate symptoms, the prodromal symptoms, we may learn more about how and when and where pesticide may play roles in the ideology of Parkinson's disease. 
And at the end, this may turn out to be very important because of the disease prevention purpose and also uh, for the purpose of delaying the disease onset. It's very interesting that your research is focusing on the programmable aspects of neurodegeneration, which you mentioned that it's very helpful to uh, know and stratify patients according to uh, different risks in order to get these potential treatments to prevent neurodegeneration. And in your paper, that is something that hasn't been shown before. You found an association between pesticide exposure and treatment active behavior. Before going to more detailed description of your results, can you tell us briefly about the methodology used in this study and how did you select this cohort? Oh, absolutely. In this particular study, we analyzed data from about 11,000 farmers in the United States. And these farmers reported whether they had had any the so-called usually high pesticide exposure event, like accidental spills. This will be the, you know, major spills. And their enrollment survey into our study in 1993 to 1997. And then about 20 years later, 2013 and 2015, at a follow-up survey, we asked whether they had had any dream enacting behaviors in the past. In this study, we use the dream enacting behaviors as a surrogate for REM sleep behavior disorder. As you know, the REM sleep uh, RBD clinical diagnosis require PSG sleep studies, which almost impossible in large epidemiological studies. So we use the dream enacting behavior as a surrogate outcome, and we conducted multivariable logistic regression to examine whether the high pesticide is over event was associated with higher odds of reporting the dream enacting behaviors about two decades later. We are particularly interested in this study for the reasons that this is a study among U.S. farmers. So they know very well about their pesticide exposures and the use of pesticide at much higher levels than the general population. So they are basically high risk group for neurodegeneration by their exposure status. How many of these patients reported you have these dream and acting behaviors and how did you characterize that this association in terms of how much exposure, it, it was only one high exposure event or multiple ones? Tell us about that. Oh, that's a really good question. I think about close to 9% of the farmers reported ever having a dreamy negative behavior. And we also know that the PSG confirmed RBD in the general population typically will be 1% to 2%. The data is still fairly limited, but that's probably the best estimate we can get. Mm-hmm. And the 8 to 9% is much higher than that. So, you know, there are going to be some RBD mimics and also going to be some reporting errors. The question we asked is basically the one item screener that developed clinically by Dr. Juan Pustuma in Canada. In terms of the high pesticide exposure event, we asked at multiple surveys. And the question we asked was, have you ever had any high pesticide exposure event in the past. We ask when the exposure occurred in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. We ask about which part of your body were exposed, your face, your nose, your head, or your body trunk. We ask uh, in more details than, you know, my uh, classifications for the body parts. 
And also we ask after the, the event, how quickly, how many minutes or how many hours delay you had before you actually cleaned up using water and uh, soap. And we also ask uh, which pesticide were involved in the event. And uh, we focus on the highest exposure event because in the farmers, they might have multiple events and we ask the details for the highest exposure event. And also you explore some of the differences between respiratory and digestive tract versus skin exposures. Was there any difference between these exposures in terms of, of increased risk of reporting these dream and acting behaviors? Yeah, that's a good question, but that's also a good leeway to talk about the result. Overall, we found that a history of a yearly high pesticides or event was associated with a higher odds of reporting gene inactive behaviors 20 years later among these farmers and compared to farmers who did not report any high pesticide exposure event in their farming experience. Those who reported the event were about 75% more likely to endorse a dream enacting behaviors two decades later. And interestingly, we observed the association appeared to be stronger when there was a longer delay in washing with water and soap after the event. And when the exposure involved the respiratory or the digestive tract as compared to the skin only, the respiratory and the uh, digestive, you can consider is through the nose and the gut, which is more yep. like internal exposures as compared to scale only, which is the adrenal exposures. I did suggest some difference between these two route of exposures. And I think there's another novelty of our analysis. However, the difference did not reach statistical significance because mm. think about how people can classify. Unfortunately, a high pesticide exposure event is very difficult to correctly recall. Okay, I inhaled. Okay, I ingested as compared to, oh, it's only got to my face. I don't think I inhaled any of those. So reporting errors can play a big role in the analysis. And in terms of the pesticide use, was there any difference or hint to any major risks regarding the type? of pesticides, either insecticides, fungicides, herbicides. So we asked the participant to report what kind of pesticide were involved in the highest exposure event, asking people to recall such details. Maybe a few decades earlier can be uh, a difficult task, but nevertheless, most people were able to recall the pesticide involved. And we analyze the associations and most of them show positive associations. And we did find significant associations for the two organo insecticides, the DDT and Lindan, both implicated in Parkinson's disease ideology in the past. We also found four organophosphate insecticides. And some of those also implicated in Parkinson's disease ideology in the past. Interestingly, of the herbicide we look at, we found two herbicides. Particularly, we found a positive association with paraquat. It's not a hugely strong association, 
But this is also consistent with findings for Parkinson's disease. And uh, finally, we found fungicide as a group is associated with the tumor uh, inactive behaviors, but we do not have the sample size to look into specific fungicides. I found very interesting that you focus on tumor inactive behaviors as a surrogate of RBD. And in the past, we have explored this association with other prodromal symptoms, such as hypospia and constipation. Is this something that you will explore in this cohort that you gathered, sort of characterize the prodromal spectrum uh, of PD with these patients? Thank you for asking about the history of my research. I've been studying the epidemiology of Parkinson's disease for the past 20 years. Initially, I focused analyzing the disease clinical diagnosis at outcome. But over time, as you kind of implicate it, I began to get more and more interested in studying the prodromal stage of the disease. Basically, that's inspired by the publications of the Brock hypothesis and also the later two dual-hit hypothesis in terms of Parkinson's disease ideology. And I think environmental epidemiology, which is my research area, has a big role to play in this research because the implications of these two hypotheses, as far as environmental epidemiology is concerned, is that the nose and the gut, and these are the two anatomic sites that our, our body interacts with the environment. And it happens to be the GI dysfunction and also the uh, perfection, the prodromal symptoms of Parkinson's disease, and probably related to other neurodegenerative diseases as well. So about two years ago, I began to get more and more interested in studying prodromal TB, which by itself is very difficult given the complexity and the lack of knowledge. So we begin to add the prodromal symptoms into large cohorts. They have their regular follow-up surveys, including this agricultural health study. We add in questions about RBD, the REM sleep behavior disorder, we add questions about um, olfaction, constipation, so on and so forth. And we did publish both occupational exposures to pesticide in the yearly high pesticide event in relation to self-reported olfaction a couple of years ago. And the findings on olfaction and high pesticide exposure event is very much like that for the arbitrary behavior and the result support that pesticide may play a role in the early stage of the disease development. The findings are very preliminary and are from one single group. So I'm really interested to see independent replications. Yeah, this is very interesting how two different research studies dovetails very well with the prodromal aspects of PD or neurodegeneration associated with pesticide exposure. Just one last comment. In terms of the prodromal risk classification, we have the PD prodromal calculator that you can enter all the risk factors and forecast the probability of prodromal PD possible probable one of the things that comes out there is that it's just exposure to pesticides. It doesn't say either high exposure or it says more than 100 times exposure to pesticides, but it doesn't say which type of it. You think with your research, those scores or risk factors need to be recalibrated or do we need more studies to support your findings? That's another great question. We 
are very interested in why the research criteria for prodromal PD in our cohort to study whether pesticide or other environmental factors actually related to the prodromal score of Parkinson's disease. But as you kind of indicated, the calculator was based mostly cross-sectional data, prospective, but to study prodromal Parkinson's, you need prospective longitudinal data because the risk and also the association likely to be dynamic. The closer to the uh, disease diagnosis, maybe the association is stronger between the predictors of the prodromal symptoms and the disease. And another thing is how to best define each of the risk factors or the prodromal symptoms. For example, in this population, almost everyone is exposed to pesticide. By the definition of the calculator, probably they all get as total as yes. But on the other hand, these individuals has very different exposures and also very different exposures to specific pesticide. I think it's hugely uh, difficult to take care of every little details in calculating the prodromal probability of developing Parkinson's disease using the calculator. But it will be still possible that as the new data come into the uh, literature in the future, I hope that calculator can be updated over time. So as new data come out, the calculator probably can be improved. And longitudinal over data particularly important. Thank you, Dr. Ching, for providing your insights on the topic and discussing the results of your paper. Now, invite all the listeners to read a paper reported by Dr. Cheng, again entitled High Pesticide Exposure Events in Dream Inactive Behavior Among U.S. Farmers Who Wish to Move Disorders. If you enjoyed the conversation about this paper, you can further your experience with Continuing Medical Credits, or CMEs. You can find the link to the journal CME course for this paper within the episode description on the MDS website. Journal CME is planned and implemented in accordance with the accreditation requirements of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME. The International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society is accredited by the ACCME to provide a continuing medical education for physicians. The International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society designates this education activity for a maximum of one AMA PRA Category 1 credits. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.